Welcome to Zero Downtime, the new podcast brought to you by DCD's editorial team in partnership with Vertiv, the world's leading critical infrastructure provider. Vertiv has kept the world's leading businesses connected for more than 50 years. We build, deliver, and support critical infrastructure that's available, sustainable, and future-ready. Visit us at vertiv.com and see what we can do for you. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of DCD Zero Downtime. I'm Sebastian Moss, the Editor-in-Chief of DCD, and today I am joined by Dr. Armin Shahabi. He is a research scientist at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, best known in our industry for his work tracking the energy usage of the data center sector. Hi, Armin. How are you doing? Hi, Seb. Good to be here. It's uh, it's It's been a strange year with, um, I think, power usages in a lot of people's minds more than ever, as well as the reason for sustainability, given all the horrifying climate stuff that's going on. So that's why, you know, when we write about about this sector and its power usage, we often come to you. I don't know how many times I've messaged you because you do the really down in the weeds as, as accurate as possible tracking of energy usage in the sector. Um, obviously, in 2020, you had that big report that showed how data center compute had gone up massively, but power usage has only gone up slightly thanks to quite impressive efficiency gains. Talk me through that kind of research. Yeah, so I mean, just some quick background, Seb. Though, yeah, I'm a, I'm a research staff scientist at Lawrence Berkeley National Labs. It's one of the the national laboratories in the United States. Um, we do a lot of work for uh, the federal government, for the Department of Energy. It's also associated with uh, University of California Berkeley. It's kind of up, up right above the the Berkeley campus. And my I mean, my background is in is uh, is in environmental engineering and tracking sort of air quality uh, emissions and understanding like carbon emissions uh, from a climate change point of view. Uh, and from that, I've sort of moved into en- into energy as well as um, looking at energy and those carbon emissions that run throughout an entire supply chain or throughout a system of something that might be getting built. Uh, a lot of times we call this like embodied energy or embodied carbon. Uh, right. And it's associated with a technique called life cycle assessment. So I've got a background in that kind of work. And like at uh, at Lawrence Berkeley Labs, what my team does is, is apply that type of life cycle assessment to uh, different industries, different new technologies to try to understand kind of what it kind of impacts on a system wide scale, like that technology might have uh, at its current state, like what it might look you know, add state when it's like advanced over in a few decades, depending on what kind of penetration it has in the market, what it what it replaces, all these different variables we right, take into account. Uh, and, and so when it comes to data centers specifically, um, we'll get into some of the transparency issues in a sec, but obviously you can't just Google how much is this data center consuming and then do it for every data center. Sometimes you don't even know where the data centers are. How on earth do you say, we think data centers in the U.S. are consuming this much power. Yeah, it's 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 one of the more challenging industries to look at. If if we if we want to understand, um, let's say, energy use in the steel industry, there's there's different trade groups uh, that that put that information together. The the 
the, um, the Department of Energy actually has different surveys that go out for different uh, legacy um, industries, concrete, steel, uh, uh, um, uh, looking at glass, uh, looking at like different building materials, all of these things that there's a decent understanding, but data centers, since it really sort of popped up on the scene just you know a couple decades ago, it's it really hasn't been integrated into that into that system of of looking at what the total national electricity or energy use is. So for us to be able to do it, we have to. Well, we, we could try to go to the companies, but that, that information just typically isn't provided by companies that it's because really what asking how much electricity a data center uses is as, essentially asking how big is their data center, which in some ways is saying, how big is your business or how much market share do you have? And they, they right. don't really want to you know, provide that kind of information uh, if they don't have to. So what we have to do is, is kind of go back to that what I was mentioning before, that life cycle assessment type of work where we're looking at it from across a different system. And so what we do is we build up what's called a bottom-up model. We essentially try to figure out all the equipment that is being built um, and assembled that will go into a data center. So we'll, we'll track the amount of processors that might be coming out of Intel. We'll look at like the number of servers that uh, Hewlett Packard puts out. And, uh, and we'll essentially build out like what would be in all these data centers in the U.S. based on what we can track from different types of equipment um, that would that is available, and so we're from the bottom up we build out these data centers with the number of servers that are in there, the amount of uh, heating and cooling equipment or AC equipment, air conditioning equipment that would be in these data centers, um, and then we consider different sizes of data centers. Um, we essentially triangulate with with different information that is available about data centers on where they're located to build out our understanding of uh, the the data center landscape. And then we go through a process of verification, working with industry, working with um, uh, different researchers uh, from around the world to you know, verify different assumptions that we're having um, and, and narrow down into what we can understand would be uh, the most defensible understanding of reality for data centers that there is. Right. So you might go to a company and say, if you ask them what their usage is, they're not going to tell you. But if you kind of give a ballpark figure, they would say if it was way off is the hope. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier to get some sense of that. They can say it should be a little higher than that, or it should be a little lower than that. Like uh, uh, industry uh, is much more comfortable kind of, you know, if we're asking them to, what what we would say is pass the laugh test. Like, does this number seem credible? Like, uh, like we could go to, um, uh, like a hard disk drive manufacturer and say, we're we're seeing like for every terabyte of 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 uh, storage that that's going out now, like you know, how many watts is that pulling? They know that really well. They understand that. And, you know, they know what it was ten years ago. They have a good sense of what it's going to be in ten years, and so. If we give a number, they can say, well, yes, that makes sense for, for these type of hard disk drives. It doesn't make as much sense for these solid state ones. You you want to consider these other aspects. And, and going through these iterations over and over again, we're able to kind of build out a model um, that has many different um, uh, characteristics in there that we essentially we can, that we can put in different knobs and, and adjust that. So it, it's not reliant on any one particular piece of data. If 
if we think that uh, server processors are going to become more efficient, or or they are, we we learn that they actually are more efficient. We can turn that knob in the model and and constantly like tweak it to get a little better understanding of what we think that total energy use or, or carbon emissions or, or water use might be coming out of uh, the data center industry. So so one of the issues is that even if you know how many processes, how many hard drives are sold in aggregate across the country, you ideally would like to know which part of the country they're in because, you know, if you go to a hotter location, you need more cooling. Uh, so how do you take in that variation? Yeah, and that's been one of the harder things for us to do is really within a country to be able to define where those data centers are. Uh, and we have done that in a few studies. We've made a few different attempts. Um, one of the areas, there's really, there's there's a few different areas that we found that um, we, we can do that because uh, there isn't really a good database of where right. data centers are located, except for co-location data centers. Those da- data centers, because they're essentially selling space, that we, we do know where those are. So that chunk of the market, the colo market, we know where those data centers are. If we want to think of the really big hyperscale data centers, there's not a lot of those. Um, so by just, uh, I, I, I'm fortunate enough to have grad students working with me. And so I can really get them to sort of just dig in the weeds and, and try to identify uh, where those large hyperscale data centers, which is really in the hundreds for, uh, in the U.S. So it's, it's not impossible to kind of slowly and painfully track down where some of those locations are. And then for the smaller data centers, we, you know, when we start looking at like a data center that might be like a floor um, or a large room in, in an office building, we, we've gone back and looked at um, data that's coming out of the Department of Energy for office uh, uh, energy use. And in, it's been really helpful that m- more recent uh, uh, reports that have been released have, have provided numbers on, on IT equipment that are mm. in uh, these office buildings. And so from that, we're able to back calculate where we think um, some of the servers that that are representing some of small or mid-sized data centers would be located. So by kind of com- putting these different parts together, we're able to kind of get a sense of where uh, where the data centers are located in the U.S. But it is, it is a challenging area for us to really be able to identify down um, where where they're located. We're trying to work with utilities when we can, um, since if we're putting a, if a data center is coming in and it's a mid to light, large size, it's going to work with the utility to have a power purchase agreement of what that electricity use would be. Um, there's also um, some of the larger data centers actually have so much storage on site just from their backup that um, it that they have to register um, as as a electricity generator, so we can go and we can look and see. Okay, well, how many how many how many data centers have been registered as uh, electricity generators, and and kind of go back and, and calculate that way. Fascinating. So, so you you mentioned small server rooms um, in in offices. Where do you draw the line? When does it become enough of a data center for you to track it? And then equally, I'm thinking about. In the future, if we do get more edge deployments that are, you know, single server racks, the base of telco towers, whatever, where do you draw that line? Seth, that's a good question because I don't think we really have to draw the line because we're building a bottom-up model that looks at like how many servers are shipped out every year Mm. uh, in the U.S. and and are actually put in operation. 
we essentially, if you can imagine, we're taking all those servers and then distributing them among different data center sizes in different locations. And so some of those will go into hyperscale data centers, some in colos, and some will go into office buildings. And in, within those office buildings, we go down all the way to closet size data center, which could be a single rack. Wow. Okay. So you're really trying to get everything. Um, I, I think to, for the listeners to give some context. So the, was it the 2020 paper? It was uh, from your estimates, it was in 2005, 153 terawatt hours for, for worldwide energy use of data centers. Then that goes up to 194 terawatt hours by 2010 and 203 terawatt hours in 2018, which while a, you know, a significant jump is nowhere near as significant as one would think if you just had a static industry that increased the amount of compute it could do. Um, one of the difficulties as a reporter in this sector is every now and then the mainstream publications will report data center usage, internet usage will consume 40%, 50% of worldwide power by insert some date. And it's because some researchers have just done that extrapolation and gone, there's going to be way more compute. Compute uses this much power. Let's times it by five. This is how much power it uses. What's your view of that kind of approach? Yeah. Well, as you can imagine from the, this bottom-up approach that mm. I'm talking about, it sounds really like just it's, it's quite a, a slog to do and it, yeah. it, it takes a long time and a lot of data collection and uh you know a, a quick way of like trying to update that estimate is is to take that uh, electricity use and and scale it with some other value so you could be scaling it with the the number of people that are watching um you know online videos or right. or with the, the population increase or or with um the general size of of the um uh, of, of the of the market from a financial point of view you could be looking at all of, all of those things and you would start finding you know strange extrapolations there because there's multiple variables that are really changing every year. Like you have more servers going in, but how those servers are being used right. is changing. So many different parts are becoming uh, more efficient. The storage is becoming more efficient. The processors are changing, uh, you know, complete updated uh, repeatedly. The, the cooling systems that are used in data centers have, have changed over time. You know, so you have to take into account that all those different things that are making things more efficient, as well as looking like, well, what's the stored capacity of uh, of, of 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 storage? Like, how much how much data center like IP traffic uh, mm. uh, is increasing over time? Uh, how many workloads are we seeing? Um, all all of these things have to be taken into account. Uh, and so, if you don't take them all into account, you can get some strange numbers. It, you know, it reminds me of like there's this uh, XKCD uh, cartoon where um, it's you know I have a, a picture of uh, what looks like a bride, um, you know, in a wedding dress, and somebody's like pointing to like this line going up and saying, you know, it looks like she's just getting married or something, and it says like as you can see by late next month you'll have over four dozen husbands, so you better get a bulk rate on a wedding cake. Because yesterday you had zero husbands and today you have one. So we'll keep that trend. You're going to like have four dozen. And that's kind of what happens with some of these trends where uh, you'll see, um, like for video streaming, uh, mm. you know, it's a common one where you can say, well, it looks like um, you know, there, there's this much um, um, 
data that's that's going over the network for video this year and it let's say in, in 2005 and this is roughly our estimate of of how much electricity was associated with video streaming that year um, and then you look at how much more uh, data is streaming now and you're like well did, did the energy use increase accordingly and, and no because it's, it's that's not a number that even though you can take two values and you can put one in the numerator and one in the denominator it's not actually a scaling factor that you can use all the time yeah yeah i, I think it's also so you, you have papers and, and headlines that go that way around but it's also important not to do it the other way around so so your report showed between 2010 and 2018 while energy usage only went up six percent compute went up 550 percent great but there's no reason to believe over the next eight years the same level of efficient efficiency gains will be made you know that was like you said better chips but chip progress is slowing down and shift the cloud and you know it's hard to know how many of those early wins from the shift of cloud were really really inefficient data centers yeah, it, it makes me think, I mean, there, there was a lot of room for improvement. Right. <laughs> um, you know, if you go back a decade or you know, 15 years, like, I think you know, like around 2005 was the first time I walked into a data center. Uh, and it was it was at Lawrence Berkeley Lab. So this is at a, you know, a pretty high level, right. um, you know, That's science nice research place, yeah. you know, place. And as the data center at the time, it was, you know, there was racks of, of servers in there and then these different um, um, computer room air conditioners that were just on the floor, just kind of randomly placed in different locations. Uh, and there was like all these different the places where the hot air was mixing with the cold air. And there was like a few sort of desk fans that were like placed in different <laughs> locations to try to blow the air around and, you know, just grossly inefficient use of cooling that kind of the, the, the analogy I think of is like, if you designed a refrigerator, but you didn't put the door on yet. So it's like, it's just huge losses. And like, once you figure out, okay, well, let's put the door on, you're going to like, your efficiency is going to jump so much from that. And that's, I think, where we started. We started, uh, or the industry started with, um, you know, designing like their data centers uh, because they sort of slowly built out over time, you know, because it was, you know, it started with, you know, a few servers in a, in a room and you don't need to really worry about the air conditioning uh, right. on, on a few servers. And, you know, it slowly grows out in that way. And all of a sudden you have this, this, this behemoth of, of, of servers and and it's just poor, being poorly cooled where you have situations back then, you know, when we were looking at around 2005, uh, well, first off, there was really no idea of like, well, how much electricity is being used for cooling on this? How much compared to the amount of compute, electricity for computing? And we were seeing numbers that were, you know, uh, twice as much, uh, electricity going into the cooling compared to the computing, you know, which would be like a PUE of three, you know, in terms of the, the metric that's now used for that. Uh, it, there was just so much improvement potential <laughs> there. And that's really what we've seen over that last decade is you know, that PUE value, the amount of electricity that goes into things outside of the actual IT equipment has, has dropped significantly. I mean, a lot of your listeners know, like companies like Google have have gotten their PUE values down into the below 1.1 level. So you just have mm -hmm. a small increase in, in electricity being consumed on things outside of the actual IT equipment, which 
is much better than when it was it was, on, it was in the comparable area. The amount of electricity going to IT is about the same as what's just going into everything to support it. So with these like huge efficiency improvements in uh, the non-IT electricity use, as well as uh, improvements in in how those servers are being used. Uh, look, another example of inefficiency is you know, we, we had the refrigerator door open and then we had servers in there that um, you know, one of my colleagues, uh, Jonathan Kumi, did, did a study where he went into different data centers and, and looked at how many servers were just operating, but it wasn't, they weren't actually doing anything. And they were coined zombie servers. They're just these servers that are still there. They're still drawing power, but you, you, you go in there and everybody in the data center is kind of looking at like that server and like, do you know what that server's for? No. Do you know what it's for? No. Um, well, should we unplug it? I, I don't want to be in, I don't want to get the, you know, the heat for unplugging it. So you just end up having these servers that are just sticking around because no one's really sure what, what they're for. And it looked that the estimate back then was like 10% of servers were, wow. were zombie servers. So another like, big opportunity for efficiency increases. So we've really seen like these huge improvements as the industry has matured and gotten larger. Mm. Um, and those efficiency improvements have been able to balance out with the growth of, of that growing industry. I think going into the future, it's it's going to be harder because those obvious low hanging fruit opportunities um, aren't really there anymore, yeah. and it's there's going to need to be other ways of you know, having orders of magnitude efficiency increases to um, to sort of uh, off balance um, the orders of magnitude increases in in services that we can mm-hmm. expect from the industry, and and obviously with climate change the outside temperatures are going to go higher as well and, and swing around more, which will use up more power to, to deal with. So I, one of the things the industry often says when, when they talk about lowering cooling electricity is water, right? Just throw water at it, um, which brings us into the, the other aspect of your study, which is water usage and also the power behind the scenes of water, which I don't think a lot of companies take into account when they say our oh, data center is using less power because we're using water cooling. Yeah, in, in in some ways, like the like uh, when we started looking at data centers, there wasn't really a good sense of you know how much electricity, as I was talking about before, how much electricity is going into the the non IT equipment, and there the, the became a stronger focus on that with with this PUE metric, and um, you know industry reacted and said, okay, well if this is a concern, let's try to you know bring down this PUE value. Let's try to use less electricity for cooling. And one of the ways you can do that is like, as you said, throw water at it. You can put in more, you know, water cool systems um, that just use the actual um, heat of vaporization of water to right. you know absorb some of that heat. Uh, but to do that, you're, you're actually consuming more water. And <laughs> it's kind of like a situation where it's like you plug one hole and now like, it's like another problem is kind of spurted out um, in a different location. Um, so now we have these situations where industry is using a lot of water and it, it, it's, it's not necessarily a lot of water compared to other industries, but water use becomes more of an issue that's it's very like hyper localized mm. because you can have certain locations where the air the area is very water stressed and there's just a limited amount of water that might be available or in the future might be available and uh you know wars have been fought over yeah. water rights 
And it, like all of a sudden, if you have a, a community where a data center is pulling a lot of water and 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 they might have the rights over um, some other industry or or, or 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 agriculture or anything else, and that could become uh, a, a bigger issue kind of in, mm-hmm. in the future. And, and really what's interesting about water use in data centers is it's one of the industries that from what we've seen um, is that they're actually using water from utilities in the same way that like an office building would be using waters from utilities for cooling, meaning, you know, you turn on the tap and that, that water is coming from, that's treated water from a water utility, your local water utility. Whereas most industries that use large amounts of water um, use that water like directly on site, like from the ground or, mm. or they're using surface water, they're connected to uh, some body of water like a river. Um, you would see that like with like steel industry or with like electricity generation where you know, <laughs> a coal-fired power plant, you know, in the past, yeah. you know, those, that, that type of power plant is generating electricity by running a turbine, which is moving from the evaporation of water. But the, that water that's being used in that situation is water that's coming from the ground, it's coming from the river. They're not just pulling from the local utility because they're using so much. Data centers haven't quite got to that point that they're looking at how to um, use water um, that's not coming from the utility. It might be happening now with some of the larger data centers, but for the most part, from what we've seen from our studies, is that they're they're naturally pulling water from the utility, which means you have a situation where they're using the water um, um, that the community would be using as well. They're sharing it with them. But there's all that energy that went into right. actually mm. treating the water as well. It's like so it's it's drinking water level, um, drinking level quality of water that's being used for cooling in that situation, which is just completely unnecessary. You don't need to make it drinking right. quality. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and then the, the other thing that you point out when we think about water. Um, and data centers, I mean, it, com- it comes into, there's two concerns. And one is, one is looking at, um, you know, that sharing of water with a local community, which can be a big concern. And the other is, is really from a, is for, from a resilience point of view for data centers, if, if they're using electricity that requires water, um, and, and we're looking at a future where water resources could become more scarce or there could be intermittent issues with water availability that puts that electricity um, availability also um, to be uh, less resilient as well. So data centers could be running into situations where they're drawing from um, from a you know, thermal electricity that might be coming from natural gas that requires water, or even if there's, it's hydro um, and they're, they're getting electricity from uh, the a, a turbine that's moving at a dam, uh, you know, if we have a few years of drought, then like the amount of water that might be available to like run through that uh, at that dam might drop down. And now we're in a situation where we have to start deciding where is that electricity going to go. And so mm-hmm. data centers are you know, in, in this situation where uh, that makes in some ways less resilient as well, because they're relying on the water to get their electricity. That makes sense. And, and so in your study, you kind of came up with the water scarcity footprint idea of like, 
depending on where you place that data center, you can reduce your water scarcity footprint by 90%, CO2 emissions by 55%, but you have to make a trade-off. You have to make a decision which one you prioritize. Yeah, there's a, there's a few different like key factors in terms of how much water is going to be used in a data center. Um, you know, in location is is a big part of it because that's going to affect you know what the climate is in that location for cooling uh, on site. But it's also going to affect what electricity use is being used, and depending on the source of the electricity, the water consumption for that electricity generation can be vastly different. Water consumption uh, for hydro, when we think of consumption of the amount of water that needs to run through uh, turbines or water consumption for thermal electricity generation, like natural gas plants or coal-fired power plants, that's that's a lot of water is required there. For renewables like uh, solar or wind, it's, it's a much smaller, much, much smaller amount of water uh, required uh, You know, when we're thinking about um, embodied water through the entire system. And so what's transparency like in the sector when it comes to water? Is it just as bad? I would say it is worse because with with electricity use, um, there's been more attention on it. And there's, um, it's, it's more, it's, it's a little easier in some ways to measure because you, you really, it's such a big part of, um, the operations of like what their utility bill is essentially for electricity with water. It's, it is tracked. Um, but there's, it's, it's a little more hand wavy because it depends on, uh, the, the, the other part of water consumption. Big part is what kind of cooling system you have in your data center. You could use a, a, a cooling system that doesn't use any water, mm. might use more electricity, but it would be a dry cooling system or air cooled system. Or you might have one that uses water, so it could have a cooling tower um, that that cools that that's used to cool water or water side economizer. Um, or you might have a combination of both of them, and then you might have an air side economizer that's providing free cooling at different times. And you have to take all those kind of components into account to to understand like well how much water is being used and how does that water consumption compare with uh, how much computations have been done? Like how big is their, uh, how big is the data center? I think that's, that's one of the other difficulties is, and, you know, I don't want to get dragged into too long a discussion about what's wrong with PUE because it, you know, I'm sure most of our listeners know, but the lack of a metric for understanding power usage to compute. And I know you've thought about that for a while as well. We've talked about it previously about, how we understand this amount of power, this amount of water equals this amount of compute. What are your views? Yeah, PUE is 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 uh, it has weaknesses and it's also great at the same time. I mean, it's great because it's it's so simple and easy and and it, it translates well. It, it communicates well across different type of data centers. Yeah. Uh, when you start looking at computations, then it's much harder to compare one data center to the next because uh, depending on what type of services the data center is providing, the computations could be very different in terms of their uh, energy intensity. 
Um, so it's, uh, you know, and how those servers might be operated mm. uh, and what's really considered, um, you know, good practices in operation, like how, how, uh, how much of that server should be utilized at any one time uh, is going to depend on the type of service that the, that data center is providing. So the challenge with getting into um, computations so far, and this is really something that we've been looking at. This is something mm-hmm. we want to try to understand better is how do we, what's that next metric that can really help us understand what's the, um, you know, the environmental footprint of data centers um, and what, what are good practices and how, how can we translate that uh, across the industry? That's something that we're, we're trying to understand. And, and really, we've found it challenging with the computations. The best we're thinking now is we, and we have to sort of divide it up into different type of industries, depending on what services they're providing. You know, if they're providing uh, you know, scientific computations versus they're providing more sort of uh, basic services like you know, email or if they're uh, providing something that's network intensive, like video streaming, all, all of those are going to be a bit different in what would be best practices and what we expect uh, an industry like that to do to, to, to have the best environmental footprint possible and yeah. be good stewards you know, for the community. That makes sense. So uh, I think now's a good time to plug if you're listening to this and you know your data center's power and water usage. <laughs> You can uh, anonymous, Come. anonymous. <laughs> Feel free to email me, please. I've, I love to talk to different data center uh, operators and owners and, and try to understand, you know, what what they're um, you know, what they're going through, you know, what what, what they see as challenges, um, and really like how how kind of how can we as as researchers try to understand and characterize the industry? You know, what, if if we are getting things wrong, I mean, we're we're yeah. we're we're scientists. Uh, we we always want to know. Like we we are constantly trying to improve. Like, I don't think we ever we never have the right and like the perfect answer. We're we're constantly you know striving to get a better answer, and we can always get a better answer by getting more information from different data center operators and owners. And, and uh, I assume it's all confidential. If if someone tells you how much power the data center uses, that's not going to be in the published research no it's i mean unless they want it to be <laughs> but it, like what we we talk to a lot of different people from industry sort of off the record to mm. kind of understand um you know that, that they can look at our numbers and they can tell us you know how it compares to maybe what they're doing but um and so we don't we don't have any obligation to 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 publish sort of numbers that are um sort of part of the data that we're kind of collecting and inputting out our reports. Perfect. That makes sense. And then wrapping up, you know, we, again, we've, we've spoken previously about blockchain, crypto listeners know I'm quite skeptical. They can listen to uh, my podcast with Alex DeVries about Bitcoin and crypto power usage in general, but how do you view that? How do you, do you count that in your overall research or do you separate it? Yeah, I mean, Seb, that's an interesting question because in the, when we did, you know, our past studies, uh, you know, over the past decade, we really haven't hadn't looked into crypto because it just really wasn't around or it wasn't big enough of an issue for us to to include yet. But it's a good example of like how what a data center is 
um, and what sort of IT services or uh, computing services are is expanding as a as an idea, um, you know, as a as a um, economic sector. And we have started to look at crypto a bit more now because uh, uh, estimates out for for Bitcoin, for example, like are are showing the, the reasonable estimates, um, like the ones that you know you you've probably seen. Put it at at in the same order of magnitude um, yeah. as as you know what the entire the like industry. <laughs> yeah, so for for a sort of small uh, niche uh, industry, you know that's not very large at this point, um, and so that's that's concerning considering how much it could grow. Uh, I, I look at it in two ways. One, we we need to include this in 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 future studies so it really requires us to expand you know what's the concept of a server we used to think that you know when we were doing our bottom-up models we would start with well we want to have a processor of some type Mm -hmm. and most bitcoin mining now uh, or if not all bitcoin mining or cryptocurrency uh, in general is not using sort of your typical cpu processors anymore they used to but they don't use them anymore because there's been sort of this arms race to to make the computations more efficient because the more efficient it is the um essentially the better sort of return like the 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 value of mining is 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 completely efficiency of of the processor which in some ways i see that as a as a um you know, I'm always looking like, where's the future going and like, you know, how, what's the efficiency going to look like and how do we sort of anticipate what those problems are going to be in the future and, and sort of start working on it now. I think cryptocurrency as a technology, um, as a hardware technology, um, in terms of its evolution, like does, does point to some opportunities for the rest of the industry because of how efficient it's become, how the hardware has changed over time to become so much more efficient. There, 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 there's lessons to be learned there that could be applied across the industry to start shifting to more application specific type of um, processors. That makes sense. Yeah, it's it's taking the, the benefits while stopping something that uses as much power as entire nations. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, I think it's it's the it's the customization that is kind of where where I'm going with it is is that um, cryptocurrency sort of shifted away. Like to give a little bit of background um, for for listeners here is cri- cryptocurrency. And if I sort of generalize this by just you know focusing on 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 Bitcoin, like Bitcoin mining, you know, was being done uh, you know on college campuses and the dorms, like on students computers like with their you know on their cpu to like make a few extra dollars uh but you know as 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 more more and more computations were occurring with bitcoin the you know the requirement for the computations went up because it's just the way that it works like if there's more 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 people mining then you need to be more efficient in your mining and so there was this shift from cpus to then using gpus and so people are using their their video game systems to to actually do the mining but then that wasn't good enough and so like specific hardware application specific integrated circuits asic chips started being developed by um 
Bitmain by, and others. Yeah, like exactly. Like by by companies that are actually putting out hardware for this specific purpose of Bitcoin mining and the which much more efficient and and every year we've just seen the efficiency of the those pieces of equipment improve over time and and it it makes me think if if you can design a piece of hardware that's specific for cryptocurrency like can we do that for for other things that that we that we need just moving away from like a sort of uh all-purpose type of off-the-shelf server and customize those servers more and more um throughout the industry yeah, the, the one that jumps to mind is uh, Google's uh, YouTube division created the Argos chip just for video transcoding because they know they need mm-hmm. to do tons of video transcoding. They know they're going to still need to do that in, in five, 10 years. So they built a chip that's more efficient for that specific thing. Obviously, the counter is that if you put tons of money into something, uh, creating a specific chip for something, and then that thing is no longer necessary, then you have quite a lot of waste and gone down a dead end. Um so, so it's currently, I think, just for like the hyperscalers, does it make sense? Because they understand their workloads at scale. But hopefully, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the the hyperscale scalers have been sort of customizing, customizing in a broader sense, at least on the assembly of their their servers for quite some time, for like about a decade now. Just in in terms of not taking just your typical off the shelf server, yeah. but. Um, you know, actually specifying certain um, um, c- certain characteristics, and you know, so you're actually having like a white box server. You're you're, you're developing a server that's like coming, um, you know, that's pretty much designed for for their for their purposes. And now we're yeah we're taking this to the next step. We're like going down to the chip level and saying like how can can that be sort of customized? And yeah, the the challenge there is you know, as you start customizing more there's 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 increased risk uh you know if 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 the industry starts changing um so there's a balance there of of you know where this customization is going to go and and i I think that there's a challenge but there's kind of an opportunity too like how are we going to start customizing chips in the future in a way that that they're they're not sort of burying themselves into um a or, or, or painting themselves, mm. they're not painting themselves into a corner with a specific type of chip that can only do one thing, but rather it's doing it. it it's it's focused enough that it's more efficient, but but there's it, it, it's it's still going to be uh, effective in the market. Right. Yeah. So it's like AI processes. I think I am um, a shameless plug. We have an upcoming AI conference. Um, AI chips and i or just chips in general and i was doing a list of of as many ai chip companies as i could find to help out the conference team i think i got to like 48 and i doubt all of those companies will be here in five to six years um but of the ones that will it's again it's about gpus were designed for much broader things video games basics physics and now how about we create these chips that are really designed for modern ai in mind and are therefore more efficient at that thing um, so we don't have the 600 watt TDP GPUs that are requiring all kinds of power and cooling. <laughs> On that uh, lovely note, what to, to close things up? Like, what research should people be looking out for? You know, when, when can we expect the next big? This is how much power data centers are using. Report. What's on the roadmap for you? 
Yeah, well, so um, a couple of years ago, uh, the U.S. Congress put out a request for another um, data center report mm. uh, in in a, in, uh, in in a policy act uh, in in 2020, and I think uh, that is something that uh, is we are going to start working on, uh, or will be asked to start working on probably sometime. Uh, I would say in the net, sometime later this year. And that's, it's really going to be a, a, another undertaking kind of similar to our 2016 report that, that we did. And uh, the industry has changed um, completely since, you know, <laughs> you know, practically 10 years ago when we were, when we were looking at this, but we also have, a, we have a lot of really good researchers um, working with us now that, um, that we're going to be able to, to draw on. And, and I expect that this will be, um, will be um, a really uh, uh, groundbreaking report, frankly, like that's going to cover a lot of new areas that weren't covered before. We're really going to try to get into uh, areas like like cryptocurrency, mm. like, you know, specific lo- location, specific water use that's that's tied to different cooling systems. And and I think you know, what 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 I don't know is like how the trend of electricity use is going to look if it's going to be the same as what we've seen in the past, or if we're going to see um, a bigger increase or maybe a bigger or, or actual decrease. Uh, that that is to be determined depending on you know, th- as we start looking into the technology and it's kind of map out um, map out uh, what we're going to be defining as data centers. Yeah, and I guess you won't depending on when you kind of end cap the the what you're looking at. You might not get the whole COVID tech cloud boom in, or do you think you'd cover that? I I think well, I mean, I think we will. It, it will be helpful to our work in that we've had this sort of this global research experiment mm-hmm. of, of shutting down like so much of industry, but then and then relying on sort of the, uh, the data center industry or the IT industry to kind of um, to to make up different services. At this point, I'm not sure like how much insight we'll be able to draw from that, uh, but that will be something that will be uh, like how much insight we can draw kind of going into the future from that. But that is something we will be looking at, like what was the effect um, from from COVID, from this this big sh- shift in demand of services and increase um, increased like IT u- use. Fantastic. I, I for one can't wait to read it. And again, if you can't wait to read it, contribute, help, give give Armin as much information as you're legally allowed. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm, I really love this talk. Yeah. And it's just such a fascinating. I'll, I'll, I'll just add, but you know, one thing. I mean, one thing that made the 2016 report and, and then you know ultimately 2020 report like uh, um, you know so valuable to industry is that industry really did contribute. Like we had a lot of people from industry. You know, work with us and, and review the report. I mean, you and you can see like uh, those that were willing to have their name put in it. You know, they're acknowledged in, in the report as as reviewers. Many people didn't want to be acknowledged, uh, you know, for confidentiality reasons. Um, but they're and they're like acknowledged that you know that that there were people that helped um, without actually putting their specific name or company there. But it was that help that um, really made the report strong and, and really looking to industry again 
for this upcoming report to be able to work with them, get their insight, uh, get their review to, to tell us when the numbers that we're using uh, or the, you know, what, what we're looking at is all wrong. We, we, we're open to, <laughs> to understanding that. It's a learning process for us. So please come and help. Yeah. And if you're an American citizen, this is, you know, make sure you get the best of your taxpayer dollars here. <laughs> make sure that everything's <laughs> accurate. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I've had a great talk. Yeah, it's been a great discussion, Seth. Thanks. Thank you. And a uh, shameless plug at the end for our listeners by the time this podcast comes out. What will also be out is our latest magazine, our, our Labor of Love. It's free. It's only free because people read it. You just have a look. It's got, we, we look at Ukraine. We look at uh, we talk to Mark Ganzi. We look at the Egyptian submarine cable stranglehold, uh, an update on African data center situation. Have a look. Let us know what you think. Any any thoughts or comments on this podcast or anything else? Zero downtime at datacenterdynamics.com. Sustainability is no longer a nice to have. It's a priority. Vertive Power, cooling and IT management solutions for critical infrastructure are designed to reduce the use of energy, water, and space. From innovative liquid cooling to dynamic grid services, we work hand-in-hand with customers to enable them to meet their data center sustainability goals. Visit us at vertive.com and see what we can do for you. Thanks for listening to the Zero Downtime Podcast. Brought to you in partnership with Vertiv, the world's leading critical digital infrastructure provider. Don't forget to like this podcast and subscribe to our channel. We'll see you again next time.